Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sing these songs to the glory and worship of your name. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be true to the message and that we would lift up your name today. We do understand, Lord, as we grasp with such a great thing as the name of the God of heaven, it's too heavy for us to bear. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give us freedom to get rid of ourself and to embrace the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, to take the cares and the burdens of this life and lay them there at the opening of the empty tomb, and to remember that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we ask that we would worship you this morning right here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at one main verse here today, and uh, I appreciate everybody fighting all the difficulties of the street fair and all of that to get through here. That's why the roads are blocked off, and it's very difficult to park and all of those things. And uh, But uh, praise the Lord that we are here and let's examine God's word this morning. Verse 2 of chapter 2 of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And what I'd like for us to do this morning is the theme is be a know-nothing. Amen? Know nothing, but know not anything but Jesus Christ. Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was writing to the city of Corinth, the church in the city of Corinth that he had founded. He had been there for quite a prolonged period of time, unlike many of the stops on his first missionary journey, which were only weeks uh, or months at very most. He was there for over a year and a half in the city of Corinth trying to start a church. And the church there was one that was troubled much. Corinth was one of the uh, three or four largest cities in the entire Roman Empire. It was in control of much of the commerce in the Uh, what we would consider the Eastern Mediterranean Sea there. And this group of believers had just many, many problems. Uh, If we want to describe the Corinthian church, we would say it was a worldly church. There was just a bunch, uh, uh, much influence from the world in this church And, of course, you can always tell when the world is at work because people try to promote themselves. Read chapter 1, I am a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm a Peter, and then the pious gas bags, I'm of Jesus. And, of course, none of them were of anything that they claimed to be. Because if you were of Jesus, guess what? You wouldn't be in disagreement with Peter, Paul, and Apollos. They only had one message. That message was Jesus. And Paul was writing this church as the founding pastor. And he was saying, listen, we've got some things that got to get straightened out here. 
but I want to explain to you. I want to take a few moments and explain to you the purpose and the direction I had in coming to you. So there's a lot of things that can be done. There's a lot of knowledge in the world in which we live today. Isn't that true? Paul said, for I determined... He said, I sat down and planned, I prepared myself not to know anything among you. He said, I'm not going to talk about the weather, I'm not going to talk about politics, I'm not going to talk about history, Uh, I'm not going to talk about the future prognostications, Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about the prevailing philosophies of the day. He says, I determined, I planned, I prepared not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. He said, the only thing I wanted to explain to you is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now you have to remember to whom Paul was writing. This was Corinthians, this uh, a Greek city, uh, one of the privileged people groups under the Roman domination. The Roman Empire really never battled with the Greeks to overcome them and control them. They kind of just absorbed them. Uh, the Greek Empire, what was left of it in, as Rome rose, was just little bits and pieces And so Corinth, being in Corinth was not much different than being in any other Roman city. It was everything that Rome had, they had. But even if you get talking to a a Greek person of descent today about the Bible, you're eventually going to get talking about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and I can't tell you, I don't think I've ever had a discussion with someone who wasn't saved about salvation. Uh, And they start, well, we invented Western thought. And we've got the basis. And so, you know what Paul said? I'm not here to debate philosophy. I'm not here to talk about education. He said, I just want to know one thing. He says, I want to know Jesus. But then he adds the phrase, in him crucified. Crucifixion was not for Roman citizens, my friend. Crucifixion was not the method of execution of what we would call good people. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst, the lowest levels of society, It was the means that Rome used to dominate the world. When the Roman legions came down into the land of Israel from the north, they just took men and they took trees and they cut off the branches and they impaled them on it all the way down the highway through the land of Israel. No one was allowed to remove the bodies. You can imagine for years the bones of the dead would litter the wayside of that highway. 
Rome had a way of dealing with those who would stand against it. And Paul is saying, listen, I only want to know one thing, that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was not something that was pleasant to think about. Crucifixion, historically, is one of the most hideous ways of capital punishment known to mankind. You see, the people of Corinth thought rather highly of themselves. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto them which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which would believe. You see, you can't figure God out. I've always been amazed at those that say, well, I only believe in what I can see. That's not true. You believe in many, many things that you cannot see. One of my favorites is, how many of you believe that you have a brain? Have you seen it? How do you know it's there? By the way, you can't see it because you'd have to be dead before you could. You've got to disconnect it from the eyes. I mean, there's lots of horrible things we can think about here. Paint some really bad pictures. But let me tell you, nobody only believes in what they can see. That's foolishness. It's just an excuse. Somebody said, I only believe in what I can understand. You got a short list, my friend, right? It's amazing the things that we think we understand. Paul said, God is out to destroy the wisdom of this world. How many of you remember when you used to live in the wisdom of this world? When you tried to figure things out and when you tried to make your plans and and set things down and say, listen, if I can achieve this by a certain period, that's, that's the world's approach to these things. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. And, but let me tell you something. If your goals are your God, there's something wrong with you. We are watching the destruction 
of our society and our nation as we know it. It's not a pleasant thing to watch, my friend. If your hope and your faith is in Washington, D.C., let, let me tell you something. It's in the wrong place. There's no salvation down there. It is a sad thing. I think our Congress now for the sixth or seventh year in a row has an approval rating of under 20%. By the way, it's a lot closer to 10. The last I heard was like 13%. And by the way, that's where government happens, whether you want to believe it or not. You can give the president credit for it if you want to, but it's the people in Congress our representatives and our uh, senators are the people who make the laws. And if you wonder why health care sustained the Supreme Court challenge, uh, it's because it was passed into law by the Congress and signed by the president. Don't get mad at the Supreme Court. Get mad at your representatives. Get mad at your senators. We've got some buttes from around here. Oh, my. Listen. The world has always believed it has the answers. And the world has always been wrong. You've got to turn aside... Your pursuit of all of these things that the world has to offer. I can't tell you how many people have come through my office and we've talked over the years and say, Pastor, all, all I want is a good life. I want to be able to pay my bills and enjoy my family. I said, you're never going to get it the way you're looking for it. I often get asked the question, how do you afford all them kids? I don't. But God just paid the bills. If I waited till I could afford to have children, we'd still be waiting. Uh, we just took the ones God gave us when he gave them to us. And, and uh, we'll see what happens. Amen. We've got a long way to go. They tell me it takes $125,000 to raise a child, not including college tuition. I figure that ought to make me the richest man in this building. Amen. Let me, let me tell you something. It doesn't take $125,000 to raise a kid. You've got to turn aside from the wisdom of this world. Because when it's all said and done, it's foolishness. When you stand before God, is he going to care that you invented the personal computer? Is he going to care that you amassed a fortune of hundreds of millions and even into the billions of dollars? That was going on in Corinth in the first century when Paul was there. And he said, I want to lay the economics aside. I want to lay the politics aside. I want to lay the philosophy aside. He said, I only want to know one thing. 
Do you know who Jesus is? I think if we were to investigate the greatest problem in our society today, it is the lack of the knowledge of who Jesus is. Do you agree with me on that? I just don't believe people know who he is. If we read this passage, people know the name. People know about him. He was a good guy that walked around and he did a lot of neat things. And, uh, and some people say he died and rose again. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, some people say he didn't die. But, but Jesus, you know, he's, he's really a composite of, of what goodness in mankind ought to be. That's where most people eventually get. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, my friend. The Jesus of the Bible was a real person that was God wrapped in human flesh. You say, how can that happen? I don't know. That's the wisdom of God, and it's just far above me. If I could quote one of our famous politicians of the day, that's above my pay grade, amen? I just don't understand how God did that, but I believe he did it because it tells me so in this book called the Bible. And you can say, well, that's awful childish. Well, I kind of like that idea because Jesus said, except ye, become, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather be childish and make heaven than have all the intelligence and understanding this world has and spend an eternity in the lake of fire. You see, we know about Jesus, but we don't know who he is. We sang some of those beautiful hymns this morning. The Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Tell you what, you stop worrying about things when you start thinking about Jesus. Amen. You stop trying to figure things out. It's just simple obedience is all that faith asks. Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, why do we believe on him? Because he was crucified in my place. Because he gave his life to pay the price for my sins. You see, there's no Jesus in any other religion that's like the Jesus in the Bible. Sometime you need to study the characteristics and just listen to what people say about Jesus because Jesus warned us. He said there's going to be many false Christs. He said they're even in the world today, in the day that Jesus was living, there's going to be many imposters. And I don't mean to be crass or careless or cutting this morning, but... I hear about a Jesus that was a good guy. He was the greatest of all the prophets of God. In fact, he was so great 
that God said, you're like my son. But you see, Jesus didn't finish the job. According to this theology, Muhammad had to come and finish after him. That Jesus does not exist in the Bible. Because when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, I am the first and the last. There's nobody before me and there's no one after me. That's the Jesus of the Bible. If you've ever seen one of those fancy dancy commercials, uh, comes on and it has a family and everybody's happy and it talks about the last testament of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't have anything to do with the Mormon church. The Jesus of the Mormon faith only exists in their imaginations. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Jesus had a prophecy at the end of the book of Revelation for those that would mess with the words of this book. He said, if you take them out, I'm going to take you out of the kingdom of God. He said, if you add to them... I'm going to add to you the plagues that are written in this book. Tell you what, I don't want to mess with the words of this book. We've got a Jesus in the Protestant faith that sits up heaven in his rocking chair and just smiles and says, well, I paid for everything. It's okay. It's okay. Everybody will be saved. That Jesus doesn't exist in the Bible. He said... It's not going to be okay unless you accept my payment for your personal sins. Have you ever studied the Jesus of the Roman Catholic Church? It's an interesting study. He is a cruel and vindictive person. In fact... You can read this in Catholic catechisms. Who punished you more harshly, your father or your mother? That's why we go to our mother to appease the wrath of Jesus. Let me tell you something. The Jesus of the Bible needs no one to implore his mercy. Because he is mercy incarnate, my friend. He needs no one to plead for his love because he is love. These are imaginary Jesuses that are in this world. And they cloud our understanding and keep us from meeting the Jesus of this book called the Bible. You see... We live in a world where even churches that once preached the same way I am preaching this morning, now will get up and, and will preach a Jesus that is here to serve you and to enhance your life and to make your life better. 
Uh, it is commonly called purpose-driven Christianity. There is only one purpose to true Bible Christianity, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to serve Him. He is not here to serve us. He is here to be worshipped today. How many of you enjoyed singing those songs? I mean, if you're not just a little uh, sore in your throat, if you don't feel like you've strained a few things, let me tell you something. You weren't singing hard enough this morning. You need to get that right and start really lifting up to the Lord because when we sing His praises, He is worthy. Amen? He alone is worthy because He is the one who left heaven's glory and died on a cross. You see, that death on the cross is important. Because if he hadn't died, all of us would have to. He, being God, was able to accomplish in one human body on one day what would take all of mankind in eternity in the lake of fire to begin to try to accomplish. When is the last time we've looked at our sin the way God looks at our sin? You see, that tells us who Jesus really is. You cannot philosophize about Jesus. Read with me if your Bible is still open. If it isn't, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, this is the setting of the verse that Paul said, that I, that I may know nothing, for I determined not to know anything among you save... Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. That no flesh, that no flesh should glory in His presence. How many of you were here for our study in the book of Revelation as we were in Revelation chapters 4 and 5? That's what heaven's going to be about. You cannot understand. I cannot understand what the glories of heaven are going to be like. But I'll tell you what, they're going to be far above anything we can comprehend. Every moment we waste down here, we will regret up there. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Let's go back to verse 5. I'm sorry, I skipped over that. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? That our faith could stand in the wisdom of God, not 
in the wisdom of man. We like to think we know a lot of things. How many of you have heard the newest discovery in physics? The Higgs Botham particle. The God particle. You know why they call it the God particle? Because they believe that this one subatomic unit is what gives weight and mass to everything in the universe. Well, I, I think the writer of Colossians had it right. By him, all things consist. Amen? They're looking for an explanation for the universe. I like the way one preacher said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said, let there be light. Bang! There was light. Amen? I, I just... I've listened to too many people over the years talk about ridiculous things that are total nonsense. Our politicians today we are going to save the free market by suspending the free market. That's actually a quote of the President of the United States. Step two was, we are going to get out of debt by printing and spending more money than we ever have cumulatively in the entire history of our country. Don't try these things at home. They usually incorporate jail time. The wisdom of God says, you bring your sin-ridden life to the foot of Calvary's cross and you trust in what Jesus said that it is finished. And God will give you eternal life. I like the wisdom of God. Because it isn't only what we talk about. It's what we live. How many of you have fled to the God of this book for refuge when everything around in your life went wrong and found the help that you needed? Amen. How many of you have lived long enough that you can see the wisdom of being obedient to the word of God lived out in your life? Amen. How many of you live long enough to see where the foolishness of this world leads? How many of you remember the story, probably won't remember the name, I don't, but uh, there was a, a lady that was in charge of this uh, organization. It wasn't uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was, an it was an organization that was trying to help alcoholics uh, 
how do you say this properly, uh, be able to drink socially without being drunks. After her second DWI arrest, kind of gave up. That's a true story. See, the Bible's real simple. Just don't touch that rot. You don't need it. You don't need spirits out of a bottle when you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Amen? We have Brother Franz and Sonia just got married, and Peter's looking forward to marriage. I'm looking forward to celebrating uh, 24 years here in a couple of weeks. I'll tell you what, you can't improve on God's way. You can't improve on making decisions based upon the Word of God. I don't know how many preachers I've met over the years, and they said, well, we, w- we would have had more children if we could. And said, we did, amen? Not trying to be smart, Alec, but can you trust God? Somebody said, why do you missionaries have so many kids? I said, it's real easy. If you can trust God with everything else, you could trust God with that too. You see, when our faith stands in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of man, we can see the power of God working. And you can talk about your philosophy all day long. I want to see God working. I want to see the power of God working in his life. But let me explain something to you. And it is here in our passage. Let's go down to verse 11 of chapter 2. For what man knoweth the things of God, save the spirit of... I mean, sorry. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit... Of man which is in him. Now all the ladies need to say amen to that verse, right? I mean, all through the ages, women have tried to figure out men and men have tried to figure out women. And you can't do it because you're not the same. Amen? I mean, even if you had it all figured out, man, you still have no idea why they get there because you're not a woman. And God is saying, listen, how in the world do you understand what it is to be a human being with the exception of the fact that you're a human being? Now, why do you as a human being, if we read on, think you can understand God without the Spirit of God coming and living in you and giving you that understanding? Are we still together? See, if you're going to have your faith in the Jesus of the Bible, you're not going to meet him in a secular history book. You're not going to meet him in a philosophy class. Jesus was not a philosopher. He is God. Jesus was not a great teacher, though he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. He is God. I believe our problem is we do not know the Jesus of the Bible the way we should. 
We're still busy trying to look at him through the tinted glasses of our human understanding. Look down here in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Your natural propensity is not to obedience of this book called the Bible. Your natural direction of your life is not toward God. The natural direction of your life is going to be against all of those things. And if you're going to go in the right direction, it's only going to be because the Holy Spirit of God has freedom to move you in that direction. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your faith based in? Are you going to allow the Spirit of God to move you in the direction that God wants you to move. It's a simple, childlike faith that just believes what the Bible says. That's how you get saved. But let me tell you something. If you're not living the way you got saved, maybe you didn't get saved the way the Bible says you ought to. Does that make sense? If you got life by simply believing on Jesus Christ, how do you expect to keep and maintain that life by doing something different? Read Galatians chapter 3. We must receive the Holy Spirit of God and let Him teach us obedience to this book called the Bible. It is often a terrifying thing to simply trust the Word of God. But there's no place I would rather be. How about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we just need your strength. We need your Spirit to lead us and to show us We need the ability to lay aside our own reasoning, our own thought processes. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom during the time of invitation to work in each heart and life here present. Give us your grace that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.